0: Good. I'd like to ask for your attention, for some instructions on sitting, posture, orientation of the body in space. Uh, I'd like to indulge your open-eyed attention. This is not a guided meditation. I need you to be present for this. Thank you. Just about every meditation tradition has an aspect um, dealing specifically with body. Uh, All the big contemplative lineages have understood that there is something indispensable about our embodied experience. And my personal hypothesis about this is body is always present tense. You never get yesterday's knee pain yeah or tomorrow 's uh, mosquito stings, or so you always whenever you get bodily sensate experience, this is anchored in present tense it 's connected to a profound nowness of our experience, and this sounds harmless enough, but in fact, this is very crucial because. As you all know, much of our experience is not about nowness. Much of our experience is about uh, warmed up versions of yesterday or anticipated versions of tomorrow. So, simply having a reliable and immediately accessible aspect of experience that connects us to present tense is precious. Contemplative traditions have understood this. So, there is no way around. Uh, being with the body as the body is when we meditate. And aptly the first segment of uh, the Satipatthana Sutta refers to bodily practices. Traditionally there is six of them. And the very first one is is posture. Posture on the orientation of the body in space. This sounds simple and harmless enough, and yet if uh, we look at the habits of our mind and uh, our attentional habits then it's quite obvious that uh, for much of the time this body can operate remarkably well without being attended to. Um, it, we can be at remarkable distance from our bodies for most of the time and still somehow survive. It's an evolutionary feat that we have managed to do so. In terms of awakening it's not terribly helpful as a habit. You know being dissociated from embodied experience is not a terribly useful pattern if we want to wake up. So one of the things we consciously try and we use as the mainstay of our practice is returning attention, simple attention, to the current body experience. That starts with making ourselves comfortable in our sitting con- con- construction. So, this worthy development here, we uh, owe to the Japanese tradition, um, generally contains something called kapok and responds well to being pummeled. Yeah, when, they again, when, they, when they're being pummeled, after being sat on, they regain their loft, and they're very um, endurable sort of uh, pieces of equipment. You can say it's 30 years with one of those, uh, if you treat it properly. So, Consider them not as meditation cushions. I know I'll be boring some of you. Please bear with me if you have heard this many times. Consider this as a wedge. Yeah. The basic principle is not to soften your posture. The basic principle is to actually receive help in lifting your pelvis slightly off the mat. If you do that and if you establish a posture that allows your the small of your back to be full, then that means you have... Um, less muscular um, effort that is needed to keep your body upright. So if you happen to be sitting on a chair, I particularly recommend that you make sure your soles of the feet are flat, you have something underneath your feet, and you may consider uh, refraining from the backrest. Or if you use the backrest, use it in such a way that You really sit upright, out of your pelvis. Um, Christina will give you some more details on this later on. Um, Mentally, our area of attention when we do awareness of body is, first of all, taking stock. Before we do anything else, we take stock, what this body feels like. No method, no particular area of body is really very helpful unless we have checked in with how we feel, checked in how this body feels right now and acknowledged its state, acknowledged its energy levels, acknowledged its posture, acknowledged familiar and unfamiliar sensations. In my ideal world, you know, meditators wouldn't know anything about meditation. We would start at exactly zero. That would be my ideal sort of scenario. The truth is, experience tells me that whatever I say, you are most likely to hear what you already know, what you already believe, and um, not hear what might challenge that. That's what experience tells me. We all have a lot of notions of what meditation is, and um, some of them based on experience, some of them based on hearsay, some of them based on uh, all kinds of uh, concepts which may or may not stand up to scrutiny. So be aware of what you expect to happen and try to create a little space to actually simply acknowledge how this body feels. Our attention favors strong and discernible things. If we are geared to attend to cognitive processes, if we uh, identify and invest a lot in thinking, then our attentional pattern will inevitably focus on things that have some similarity to thought. In other words, that are reasonably defined, that make clear statements, that have contours. To attend to an amorphous, diffuse, non-alarming sensation somewhere in our body may already be an attentional challenge. Not just because it is um, a different thing, but actually the, the quality of attention to acknowledge something that isn't as defined as a thought that is maybe slightly amorphous, like a vague sense of warmth in your upper belly. Something like that may simply not register in our mind. It may simply not fit into the mesh of our attention because we expect something to be more precise, more small, more defined, more contoured. So I'd like to encourage you to um, be curious and be well aware that it's not precision we're asking for. The more precise you want to be, the more kind of small your attention tends to go. You want to be receptive. You want to ask. You want to be inviting. This is not a technique. I'm speaking of an attitude. No technique will make you free. So we're looking for a relationship. We're looking for a quality of relating to the embodied nature of our experience. And that means, like all relationship, you know, it takes patience. Sometimes it's very nice and you're in love with it, and sometimes you're not so in love with it. Uh, sometimes it takes uh, more than patience, you know. You, act- you actively need to seek to establish that relationship. Some parts of our body are not used to be met or felt or acknowledged. They may be hesitant to give off a message So we need just to stay there, hover, wait, look whether something shows up in the clearance. Go to the edge and wait and listen. I'd also like you to make a distinction in how you relate to sensate experience. There is a pattern of observing experience, observing sensation. Um, there is even a scriptural basis for that. You know the term Anupassana can very well be translated with observing. But be wary of just observing your own experiences. You actually want to relate to your embodied experience. That's more than just observing. Sometimes of relationship need more than just being observed. If you have a kid that's crying or it 's hungry, it doesn 't want to be observed. it wants to be attended to in a more empathetic way than just being observed so we don 't want to establish a clinical witness permanent clinical witnessing position in our meditation. We want to establish a clear, sensate um, experience of how this body feels and that we can stay in relationship with that felt quality of the body's experience. I have a very simple trick for that. I just go in the body where I feel. I literally go there. It is as if I descend with my awareness and I intentionally shift the focus of my attention to the place in the body I have decided that I want to experience, experience more deeply. Simply going there and inhabiting the space in which that felt sensation takes place. Go and inhabiting a chest, a belly, a shoulder, uh, the tip of my lung. Uh, I go there and I stay there, I wait, I listen, I receive. So if you sit upright Try to make yourself as comfortable as possible. And I would suggest in every sitting period, you do that. Whatever else we say, and we're going to shift the emphasis of our exercises in the course of the days to come, but you start with acknowledging how this body feels, its degree of energy, its degree of pain or ease, its degree of tension or relaxedness, whatever is, seems unusual on whatever seems familiar. You have kind of, you take stock. I have a, a kind of taking stock of pelvis area, small of the back. Whatever you do further up is of less importance unless you have actually started off with the small of your back and your pelvis and sitting from a firm base. There's nothing esoteric about meditation postures. It's very simple physics. You get as much of yourself onto the mat. To distribute the weight of your body onto as much surface, this is straight physics. Yeah? There's nothing esoteric about it. whether you do that with legs folded or kneeling, or just maximize the surface you can sit on. And then you send to yourself that this weight is distributed on, uh, you know, ideally, if you sit like this, Burmese posture or legs folded, uh, triangular uh, foundation so that you don't just sit on your coccyx then you look for symmetry in this how much weight does my left side carry how much weight does my right side carry can I feel my shoulders above my hips you orient your body you kind of keep your eyes open for a moment and see does my gaze actually go horizontal now just if you open your eyes and you realize I'm staring down at the ground, yeah. This is just something very different than if you have actually keep your gaze horizontal. And you make sure that the hands are placed symmetrically, either on your legs or in your lap or on your knee, but make sure there is a symmetry in how you place them. Consciously place them equidistant so that they have both the same distance from their shoulders and their knees or whatever posture you have chosen. And then you will notice the difference in sensation you have in your left and in your right side. The second neuralgic point is the upper chest. Make sure that this part here is open. If you're working with keyboards, screens, books, papers, we all have a tendency to invert upon ourselves. So try to consciously counteract that and open up. Without hollowing the small of your back, you open up this part. Even exaggerate a little bit. The next one, the third really key uh, part is the posture of your head. So with little shifts of your chin, and I'd like to really encourage you to explore, moving your chin forward, you hear the sound of my voice changing and exaggerating, moving your chin back, really lengthening the um, uh, vertebrae in your neck, and then you look for a place somewhere on the trajectory of your chin uh, where that head has the least amount of weight, You look for two things. One of them is whether the the tone in your throat area and the tone in your neck is similar in your muscular tissues. And the other thing is that the least amount of weight for your head. So you're looking for a fulcrum for that head. One thing that helps me, comes from Alexander Technique, As a kind of you visualize being pulled at a point slightly above your skull the cranium tip of the top of the cranium you're being pulled like a puppet slightly upward you exaggerate and then you relax into that exaggeration then you leave the visual bit and go back to actually how it feels now you do that every time you sit that would be my suggestion however old and experienced you are uh, You give yourself two, three minutes of this at the beginning of each sitting. Then you sink your awareness as wide and as open as possible into your organism. And just look what's there. How big is the space? Of my felt experience. Obviously, it's an easy thing to go and look at individual sensations. We could go for the weight or a particular tension we're familiar with and we would probably wish would go away. But instead of that, we leave the space big and open. So rather than jumping to the most dominant of sensations, we consciously open. The awareness space for the body as a whole posture as a whole we're looking whether we can orient this body in a way that gravity takes the least amount of effort to um, stand up to or sit up to just feel how much space this body takes how much volume we have, that that space with every breath we take widens and extends a little bit, seems to dilate, and with every out-breath, slightly collapses, relaxes. So the very space we experience ourselves to be in increases with an in-breath and decreases with an out-breath. Breathing in, sensing the intensification. When we breathe in, a slight increase in the volume of our sensations. Breathing out, a slight relaxation. Breath comes, breath goes, and we simply follow with our kindly attention the sensations connected to that breathing movement make sure that you don't force your mind that you don't push it into the tip of your nose or at the bottom of your belly or something of that nature but that you receive the breath receive the breath into you Consciousness, receive the breath into your experience, and you welcome it. You welcome its volume, you welcome its extent, you welcome its rhythm. You welcome that it happens without you doing it. Sitting here, feeling the body gently move while we are being... being breathed. All this is part of plan A. So Attending gently and kindly to the coming and going of sensations while we breathe. Plan B comes into play when we notice we're doing something else, drifting off, thinking, remembering, fantasizing, commenting judging, whatever, generally is cognitive in nature. And whenever we notice that, we simply return our attention. We make a choice to focus our attention on the sensations of breathing. We do that kind, kindly. We do that without passing judgment on our talents of medita- as meditators or judgments on the nature of our dedication. We simply take our attention by the hand like we take a small child by the hand and say come, come back, come look here and bring it back to the breath. And we do that as many times as it is necessary. Welcoming the breath, its sensations, the ebb and flow of what we feel the breath moves in, in this body. Yeah. Let's try practicing this.
1: it will have become immediately apparent to you that we don't really have a warm-up period on retreats. That we don't suggest that in a day or two when you feel less tired or your mind feels a little calmer, then we'll get into the practice. Instead, we start with the invitation to engage in, to participate in, a very wholehearted commitment to a day of being present, a day of being as wakeful as we can be, a day as being of being as mindful as we can be. Amidst tiredness, amidst fatigue, amidst the busy mind, amidst all the chatter, amidst all the impulses, let's explore what it means to be here. To be here." I really appreciate it's a big ask. It's quite challenging. It's quite demanding. But it is why we came, and it's quite good to remember that. Some of you may well find that you're practicing with a lot of fatigue today. This happens in life too, doesn't it? We live at times with tiredness. It's very helpful if you find that you feel quite fatigued. The area of your body to really, sometimes really be grounded within is in your neck and the posture of your head. Because you can be pretty sure that when you start to sink into fatigue, this is what will collapse. It will be your first sign that the mental state is actually much bigger than the quality or the depth of the mindfulness in that moment. And sometimes I, I find it it's almost helpful to practice with that resolve of an upright neck, a balanced head upright, not forcing, not tense, but just knowing that that's where tiredness often really registers. Open your eyes, raise your hands, whatever is needed to just bring that little bit of extra energy in. And you know, it is quite quite remarkable really that we can fall asleep cross legged. <laughs> we would never have believed this to be possible in our life. If it should happen and your neighbour is really successful in this feat, and you know, even dissolves into snoring, please give them a quiet shake and receive that quiet shake with thanks. So I want to talk about the fullness of the day. And again, it's having this expansive picture of reorientating, re-examining our understanding of this practice, a path of cultivation, not confined to a particular posture. And I sometimes think this is the biggest piece of Conditioning, meditative conditioning that it's really helpful for us to get beyond. Uh, I would encourage you to examine in your own mind do you have a hierarchy where sitting is the real stuff and walking's fill in space? We do it just to kind of move a bit between the sittings. Really examine whether you have that hierarchy in your mind because that is actually the very hierarchy. That it makes it quite difficult to actually nourish and sustain this practice in the midst of our life. Because we have the idea that meditation is closed eyes, sitting upright, you know, removed from the world. Quite honestly, in your life, where is the uh, biggest proportion of your time spent? On a cushion or in movement? In engagement with the world? This is why the walking practice is so deeply important. I'm still live in hope that I will one day encounter an engineer yogi who's gonna build me a wind-up Buddha who's just gonna walk up and down and up and down and up and down and will no longer sit and really register (laughs) that this matters. This really matters. What happens off the cushion really matters. You see it right away, your eyes open and the world arises. And this is where we live most of our life, in the midst of those sights, those sounds, all of those impressions that come. And the huge field that those impressions and that contact offers to get lost, to be impulsive, to be habitual, to be reactive. And what we're really learning to do in this practice is to nurture and to cultivate that calm, alert, inner quietude in the midst of this, in the midst of our life, in the midst of this world. So therefore, the walking is where we explore what happens when the world arises. Now, it's really helpful to have a walking path, and I can't stress that enough. There's a world of difference between having a walking path and going for a hike. A walking path is is offering us a container. Just as we have a container when we sit, we have a container. And that container allows us to see more clearly, more intuitively, the way that we're engaging with the moment. It offers us a space of collectedness. So finding a walking path, be it inside or outside, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be huge. Something else that doesn't matter is pace. I know, again, many people have the idea that if you're a really good yogi and your practice is doing really good, really well, you know, you resemble a snail. (laughs) (laughs) This is not indicative of good practice necessarily. One could be a very mindful snail. One could also be quite a mindless snail. (laughs) Just going slowly. So pace is not important. Pace is also part of the whole path of responsiveness. If my mind feels very heavy, very dull, so she's helpful for me to walk a bit quicker. If my mind feels very agitated, very restless, so she's helpful for me to slow down. But to know what's helpful, I actually need to know the state of my mind. And that's where we begin with the walking practice. We find our path, we stand still for a moment, we collect ourselves, and we ask ourselves what is the state of our mind in this moment? Bright, alert, dull, agitated, contracted, spacious? This has something to do then with how we engage with the walking practice. Where do we ground our attention in the walking practice? Well, very similar, as the has mentioned in the sitting practice. First, we stand for a moment to feel the body standing. What is that felt experience? The feet touching the ground, the air touching the skin, the uprightness of the body. And then we begin to walk. Here, the breathing is not our primary object. We are learning to be embodied. We're learning to be embodied. We feel the foot lift off the ground and move through the air and make contact with the ground once again. We feel the other foot lifting, moving, placing. This is where we are establishing our mindfulness. Like in the sitting, many moments of departure, thoughts, ideas, memories, body sensations. This is not an interruption to the practice. This is part of our life. Can we bring that same calm mindfulness to those moments, knowing where we are, coming back to the next step? Let's not make this complicated. It's about being awake. It's about being here. It's about knowing what's actually going on. So, we have a quiet day today of just really beginning to get settled in the practice. Tomorrow we will begin with some group meetings. This afternoon we also will have a time for, you know, just any questions about the practice that have um, arisen, if there are any. Have a wonderful day.